you would just stand for the reading of the word. We're going to be looking at Psalm 67, and you'll, you'll recognize much of this from our call to worship this morning. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning. We are grateful that the Lord has graciously blessed us uh, with this place to gather, and um, it's been 12 years. And so uh, we've prayed and sought the Lord and looked for opportunities, and this uh, seemed like exactly what the Lord had in store for us. And so uh, thank you for being here if you're visiting with us, and we're just uh, glad to be a part of this. We can... Um, Look back over these years and think about all the ways that the Lord has worked in the hearts and lives of our people. And it is a delight to worship with you and to gather with you. And we are really thankful for what all the Lord has done for us. And so uh, this morning as we begin, I, um, I just want you to bow with me and then we will study together. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for clarity and conviction and a desire to walk in light, in the light of this psalm. We ask that you would move on our hearts, cause us to want and desire the things that you desire. We pray that we would be a people of your word, and that we would be heralds of that word to the nations. Lord, we have always sought to think about the next generation, and we ask that you would pass this faith down to them, that they would believe the gospel, that they would treasure you, and that they would do so in such a way that others might see and believe. In Christ's name, amen. Today, we are going to be kind of being reminded of God's work in the world, how he works, what he's accomplishing, what he does with the church, how he desires to use the church. And really today, it's going to be kind of thinking about like, how can we make his name great? Like we want to understand who he is. We want to praise him. We want to give honor to his name. We want others to delight in God. And that's what this psalm is all about. This psalm is driving us to that reality. God delights in the whole world. And, and he wants to display himself in creation. We can go outside and see all that he's created. And um, you could say providence as he watches over the whole world. Sometimes we get so worked up thinking about how the world's doing and, and all of those things. And there's many different voices out there uh, saying all types of things. But the reality is, as we say, God is in control of his world. We also rejoice in his salvation. We know that he has rescued us. 
He has saved us. And if you are in Christ today, you are one who has been rescued by the power of God. As humans, we're created in the image of God. We know that we are distinct from all other creatures on the planet. And as those people, we are longing to really make his name great. And we want to display him in a powerful way. We are so distinct from all creation that that's, that's really the angels long to look into what God has done in our lives because they want to see and they want to understand this great salvation. This psalm that we're studying this morning is called a missionary psalm. And it's a missionary psalm because it really does, it, it really kind of calls you to declare the fullness of God in the world. And so I'm going to read a couple of quotes from different people so that you can hear kind of how they've seen this psalm. John Stott, he wrote, uh, really kind of put together 60, I mean, I'm sorry, 37 psalms of his favorite psalms. Psalms that he actually thought, you know, they stand out to me. And this is one of those psalms. And he calls it that a missionary psalm. And he loved to see the nations, he longed to see the nations come to know the Lord. And so that is the way that he would have seen the psalm. Alexander McLaren said, this psalm is truly a missionary psalm in its clear anticipation of the universal spread of the knowledge of God. In its grip, or in its firm grasp of the thought that the church has its blessings in order to to evangelize the world. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, the great theme of this psalm is the participation of the Gentiles in the worship of Jehovah. So you think about it as it's been written, they're, they're looking out and saying, there's a bigger plan than what was the plan for Israel. In the same way, for you, you could think, there's a bigger plan than what we just see of the church, maybe in our scope, you know, every day we see. And so all of those things remind us of God's massive work and what he's doing. So let's start in that psalm, and in Psalm 67, verse 1, and you'll notice it starts with a petition and then its purpose. So verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us. Now what we would just say is we don't deserve God's mercy. There's nobody here for God to show grace to you. It's not because you're deserving of it. And that's something, something we continually say. In our worship services, we have a call to worship, then a call to confession, and assurance of pardon. Why do we do that? What we say is this. When we see God, then we see ourselves. And when we see ourselves, we see how desperately we need God. And so he is calling out. He says, God, be gracious to us. You, Ephesians 2 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is, this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. The psalmist understands that we're not deserving of his grace. Now, as you keep thinking about that, and it's important, I think, too, to say, it's like when we're looking at this, we're thinking of God showing grace and then God blessing. And the, the scriptures are clear in many different ways to point out to us God's blessings. But I just want you to hear what James Boyce says. We usually think that God has blessed us if we get rich. But Jesus overthrew that narrow, selfish idea of blessing when he asked the crowds pointedly, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? If spiritual blessing, which is to know God, 
does not lie at the base of all our blessings, including the possession of material things and of, hap- of a happy life, then these other blessings are hollow and may even be a dangerous deception and snare. On the other hand, to know God and be favored by God is the greatest blessing anyone can experience, either in this life or afterward. And so that's one of the things we have to think about. Sometimes when we're thinking about blessings, we may say when we're praying, God bless us, we need to say, yes, certainly there's an aspect of physical, but the spiritual blessings, what are those and what does that look like? I want you to hold your spot and turn to Ephesians 1, and just real quickly, I want you to see those things. I want you to understand and say, what does it mean for God to show us grace and to bless us? Turn to Ephesians 1, we're going to start in verse 3, and I just want you to note these blessings. Because these are the things that truly will cause you to delight in the Lord. Verse 1 says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So then there's five blessings. This is a doxology. It's a praise to God. It's, a, it's something you can go back to and you can look at it and you can say, our, true, uh, our triune God has blessed us. So I want you to see those. Verse 4 even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That is a blessing. It is a spiritual blessing. You continue forward. At the last part of verse 4 and starting in verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So he predestined us for adoption. That is a spiritual blessing. Third blessing, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So we say he chose us, he predestined us, and then the scripture says that he redeemed us by his blood. Fourth blessing, verse 11. In him we've obtained an inheritance, and the fullness of that is not yet seen. We have a part of that, a first fruits of that, but he has blessed us. Fifth blessing, look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the psalmist starts and says, Lord, bless us. Be gracious to us and bless us. And then we say, well, what does that look like for God to bless us? What does it look like to experience his blessing? Well, you can go to Ephesians 1 and see what does it look like. It is a knowing God, understanding God, experiencing God. And then he continues, go back to Psalm 67, and make his face to shine upon us. Some of you um, may know this, uh, this verse by heart. I don't know, you may or may not. It'd probably be one to memorize. It's Numbers 6, 24 to 26. It's the, what you may have heard called the ironic blessing. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. One author said, a shining face is the opposite of an angry or scowling face. And a face turned towards someone is the opposite of a face turned away in indifference or disgust. A shining face implies favor. The favor of the one whose face is shining. And it implies the friendliness of warm, personal relationship. 
So what is meant by this blessing is something more than we would normally think. When we ask God to bless us, usually all we mean is God help us succeed in whatever we want to do. Usually it's tied to job, house, car, you know, those kind of things. But that, that's really like a, that's a very limited idea. That is of lesser importance than the other. More desirable is that God would himself enter into a gracious personal relationship with us. That's, so the psalmist starts and he just says, Lord, show grace to us and bless us. Just do that work in us. And you might say, why would you pray that? And you say, well, good night. Uh, why would you not pray that, you know? I mean, who would not pray that? But at the same time, you kind of say, is there some purpose Look at Psalm 67, because I think it is, again, we try here to work through the text and let the text kind of be unpacked before us, and you'll notice that. It says that. That's kind of a purpose clause, right? What, what, why is the psalmist praying this to be true uh, of his life and of the people's life? Why, why would he do that? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Catch that again that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. What's he saying? The point, the point of his blessing is not just self-serving. So it's not just, Lord, bless us and give us a house and let us get a second house and let us have the best job in the whole world and let, you know, all those things. He's saying, no, bless us in the fullest way possible. In the way where your face is looking towards us, you are thinking about us, you want good for us. But it's not just selfishly saying, make my life be you shining on me. But, but it, the idea here would be like, God shines on you so that you can shine towards others. That, that's kind of the picture here. That your way may be known. Genesis, by the way, your way... It is is not only like here's God's rules, but like so you know how to follow Him, so so you could chase after Him, so that you could be guided to Him. Genesis twelve three, when Abraham was given the promise, God says, "I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed." That's the idea. It's like, bless us that we might be a blessing. Shine on us that we might shine on others. We want people to see God. We want them to understand who He is. The great promise of the gospel, the great promise of salvation, is that that gospel would go not just to the Jewish people, but to the whole world. Matthew 5.16 says this, in the same way, let your light so shine before others so that you may see your good, that, so that they may see your good works and give glory to God in heaven. That's the whole purpose of this thing. That's the whole purpose of us gathering is that you might hear and experience and understand and grasp who God is and see Him and be in right relationship with Him and for His glory to shine on you so that you might be a blessing to the world, that the gospel might spread. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. So why is the light coming on his people? That they might proclaim the excellencies of Him. What's the purpose? Is that God is showing you His glory, displaying Himself to you, that you might display that to others. That's the desire of the people of God. That is the desire of this psalmist. That should have been the desire of the people in Israel. That should be the desire of its church. That should be the desire of this church. We have desired this because of what the Lord has done. One of the things we've tried to do here is so ground you in the Scriptures, like, which is putting you before God. I mean, that, that's, we're trying to ground you in the Word. We, we are trying week after week. We put together uh, throughout fall and spring a study guide. We have discussion groups. There's a sermon. Step by step by step by step. Why? Because I want you to see God. And how do you see Him? You see Him through His Word. He has revealed Himself and we want Him revealed to others. And we want to see and savor God. The Scripture says, and it's speaking of those primarily in the ministry of preaching the Word, but I think it applies even further to all of us. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So how does light, how is light, to be, it will allow it to kind of move out into the world? How does that happen? It is as the, you're exposed to the light. So we keep exposing you to the gospel, exposing it, and hopefully it's pointing things out and refining things so that as you leave here and you go out into the world, people will see the light of the glorious gospel in your life. So, the psalmist prays, this missionary psalm, there's a petition, God shine on us. There's a purpose that the nations might see it. And then there's this kind of universal call It's kind of calling the nations. Look and see what God has done. Verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Last night with the boys, I kept saying, do you see the all? Do you see the nations? Do you see them say all peoples? You know, and they're like, what? Save that for Sunday. No. (laughs) But let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. God is worthy of their worship. The, the desire is to let them see so they won't be ruined. So they won't be damned. To not see God. For His face not to be shining on you is His face turned away from you. It, to, to, to not be blessed of God is to be cursed of God. And it's a frightening thing. And so... We want the nations to hear. Verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. That, one of the things I think is really important for us is to understand that like one of the ways that you know someone has seen the Lord is they sing to the Lord. I mean, it, it, just, it, it just comes from a heart that overflows with joy 
it's, it's part of it. Throughout the history of the church, they, they sing songs to the Lord. To, to neglect that is to ne- neglect really something, a great delight for us. So let the nations be glad and sing. It's, it's like let their hearts overflow with joy. You know, when you see things going on in the world, is your first thought, oh God, let the gospel go to that place? Or is it, I'm glad I don't live there, or which I am. Or you might say something like, um, well, those people are getting what they deserve. Or is it, oh God, let the nations sing for joy. One of the things we've tried to do, and I, I'm, I, we fail at so many things as a family. I'm not saying anything of like, oh, look how great we've done. But I, we try to sing every night. We read the scripture, we pray, we sing almost every night. Why? Why? Because that is setting them up. It's setting a pattern in their life of a proper response to God. It just is. It sets the stage for like, how do God's people who've been exposed to His, the knowledge of Him respond? How do they respond? With glad hearts. What do glad hearts look like? They overflow with joy. What does that look like? In the church throughout the ages, it looks like singing. And praising His name. And lifting Him up. So there's this universal call for all the nations to hear and believe. You move on in verse 4. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. What is this saying? God is impartial. Romans 3 verses 10 through 12 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. If you study the argument, he starts with the heathen world in the end of chapter 1 of Romans. In chapter 2, he he goes on to the uh, religious kind of world, the Jewish world. And he builds a case that God is impartial. Everyone will stand before God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God shows that he is fair. He gives us fair assessment to humanity. He is just. There's no one that is exempt. No one's grandfathered in. One of the things that when we were kind of going through the building or whatever, there are things where it's like, come on, let's just grandfather this in. Y'all ever been a part of something like that? Just kind of let that just slide. It doesn't, you don't let that slide. This is not something that God doesn't say, you know what, I'm not going to be just in this regard. If you are saved, it's because of his mercy. And it's because Christ experienced God's judgment on your behalf. And so, verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Again, there's this universal call for the nations to come, for the nations to believe, for your neighbor to believe, for your friends to believe. For your schoolmates to believe. It's a universal call. Let all the peoples of the world praise you. 
Romans 1, 14-17. Paul said this, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Then he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also in Rome, which was a place made up of people from all the nations. And then in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's to the whole nation. And it's to the whole world. And this gospel is to be spread throughout the world. And so we say, this is a missionary psalm. He has this petition, God, show kindness to us. And then there's this universal call, this desire to see the nations believe and respond. In verse 6 and 7, I want you to see his confidence in that. And that, that's something important. Have you ever played a sport and you're like, oh, I lo- he lost his confidence. And you're like, oh, man, I hope he can get it back, you know. Or sometimes even my brother, we always joke about like out fishing. Like sometimes he could, I, I, you know, maybe he, I mean, he is better at fishing. But I'll think like, man, I was doing the same thing. And he's like, yeah, but you don't have the confidence. And I was like, ugh. You know, and then I'll catch one and be like, I'm on fire, you know, can't be beat. And I, I think sometimes for the church, it's like, hold on just a second. Do we really believe that God is a God who we can be confident that he will do what he said he's going to do? And, and so verse 6 and 7, the earth is yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. In, in this we see the whole world that we live in is controlled by God, and we can trust that He will bless all those who come to Him in repentance and faith. The nations should fear Him. There should be a reverence for God, a, 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 a sobriety about God. I mean, that's, we try to create an environment where we say, God is God, and you are not. And you need to stand before him, really seeing him for who he is, and know that you are either welcoming him or you're walking away from him. You are either humbly submitting to him or you are facing his judgment. And we say that and try to explain that over and over again. Psalm 2 speaks of the kings of the earth. Those who you would say, oh, they're wise probably. They understand the things, the rulers of the earth. The scripture says to them, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. The humble come to him and they are saved. And that's what he's praying. He's praying, let the nations in humility come to the creator the sustainer, and the redeemer of this world. There is no other hope. There's no other hope for you. There's no other hope for your family. There is no other hope for your neighbor. There is no other hope for your coworker. And there's no other hope for any country or any people in all the world. And so the psalmist longs for this to take place. Before we started this church 12 years ago, Ann and I had a lot of discussions before all of this was started. And one of the things she said, do you think that we will have a greater impact on the nations? And if you can tell me that we will by staying rather than going, then I'm okay with that. 
And I've often thought about that. And we've tried to be a church that through our prayers, through our financial support of missionaries, through our going personally, to go and touch the nations. But recently, one of my sons asked me, what happened to our mission work? And I was like, ah. You know, and during COVID, one of the things he has experienced personally is going to the Mission Texarkana Church under the bridge thing and like feeding people. And and so it's kind of, we've been cut off from that at some level because things changed and and, and now it just, you know, it just happened and you kind of look up and you think, man, uh, what's going on with us? Are we really thinking about those things? Are we really on mission We need to be reminded of that. God has rescued us and delivered us and shown his mercy to us and brought light into our life that we might be a light, both locally and globally. We want to be, as Boyce says, we want to be people who love to see the nations believe and love and treasure God. He says, we shall all look upon God in the day when all his redeemed people, drawn from every tribe and tongue and nation, and purged of even the slightest taint of sin, stand before his throne to sing praises to the Almighty God and to the Lamb. In that day, God's face will shine upon us in fullest measure. We will see him face to face. And the ultimate vision anticipated by Psalm 67 will be ours. In that day, our joy will be even greater because the great multitudes from all the nations of the earth will be praising God with us. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere in the world where you're sitting there and you're singing songs and spiritual songs and psalms and in all types of things. And these people are singing it in their language. And, and you think, there's something about that so moving. Because you think, that's what, that's what it will be like one day. But one day, in unified voice, we will all sing praises to His name. We will not be like those who were scattered, but now gathered in the gospel. And every tribe, tongue, nation, people will be there. And you, you want to stand there one day, as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2. He says, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you at the presence of our Lord at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. So as you think about this church, as you think about the children here, as you think about the future as you think about your neighbor, as you think about those people across the world, as you think about the missionaries, as a people, we should be prayerful and thoughtful and disciplined and driving forward to be exposed to the light so that we might expose others to the light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. May we be a people known for our love for you. May we be a people that your light is shining forth from. 
May we bless this city. May we bless the world that we encounter. May we pray for one another to be better witnesses of the kingdom. Maybe we be a church that's a light. It's a city on a hill. A people whose light is shining so that others may glory in God. God, give us a heart to do that. May this place be a place that people can come and know that the knowledge of God rings true here. That His Word is preached here. That the songs that are sung here give glory to Him. That the people here are people of faith, people of conviction, people of love, people of hope. May we see that, God. We ask this in Your name. Amen.